Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. We're going to begin in verse uh, 1, chapter 1 of James, and and James is what I believe is, um, is a letter that's based really upon uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I, I just reading through James, if you've ever just kind of broken it down and begin to read through, you see so many things that are reminiscent of when Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And James really begins uh, with faith and it ends with faith. And we see this beautiful introduction that James gives. Now James, it says here, uh, the author James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. James does not introduce himself. He does introduce himself with qualifications. Don't you love it when anywhere that you're at, you walk into a department store, you walk into, uh, uh, well, I just recently walked into a dealership, and uh, isn't it amazing how everyone that's there wants you to know who they are, especially if they're a manager or a doctor, Met a doctor down in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. On uh, he was on vacation. We were down there with senior trip, and it wasn't just my name is Bob, but my name is Doctor. <laughs> Qualifications, and we find that James introduces himself not at probably what he could introduce himself as. Um, he could probably introduce himself as the Apostle James. That'd be a good introduction, wouldn't it? I, I walked with Jesus, the Apostle James. Or even a better introduction is James could have introduced himself by his birthright. I am the brother of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? That would be a difficult... He's a difficult child to follow. The first one's always perfect, right? And the second one... We have a second child? You wouldn't know it by the photographs. <laughs> The first one, everything's amazing, right? I wonder if that's what James felt with Jesus. You know, Jesus, think about this. Jesus, uh, he, he never did anything wrong. He got perfect grades in school. He uh, never got angry at anybody. Uh, he never made mistakes. His room was always clean. You don't believe that? I believe that. I mean, I'm being a little liberal with the scripture, but we do know this, that he never sinned. So he had to have been the perfect, and here was James. But he doesn't introduce himself as anything else other than this, the servant. Yeah. Think about that. All the things that he could have introduced himself as, he sticks with probably the most important. Because James was trying to emphasize what every believer should be. Not about positions that we hold, though they may be great, But the greatest position for any believer to hold is to be a servant of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't get this one principle right here, I don't think we could even go any further in James because we must be the servant of Jesus Christ. That means that I'm not in a position to lord over people as the Romans would do. 
But as Jesus even taught himself, he combated against the Roman style of leadership, all your principles of leadership. Students that took your final this morning, hopefully you got that right. Now I can divulge the information that they didn't get right, so here we go. But Jesus taught about the servanthood concept, and he was constantly reminding people around him that we serve those that we lead. You know who we serve? We, we serve the homeless. You know who we serve? We serve the drug addict. You know who we serve? We serve the people that others don't want to be around. No, not food. And that's okay if you do. But what we serve them is we serve them with our love, our compassion, our generosity. We serve them in the sense of our humility. We serve them as we reach them. Ladies and gentlemen, the servant of Christ is someone that looks at the outcast and sees what faith sees. Not what they are or what they might have been, but sees what they can be in the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad some servant of God reached out to you and said, that drug addict, that alcoholic, that outcast, that person right there can be a saint in God's eyes? Aren't you believing that? And so that's who James introduces himself not as the natural brother of Christ, but as a servant. Jesus Christ, wow. He was writing this letter because at this particular time in the church's history, persecution was rampant. The saints of God were troubled on every side. And God designed this. I believe persecution was designed not to destroy the church as the enemy would have loved, but prosecution, persecution rather, was designed by God. God allowed it to happen to the early church to take that church that was in Jerusalem and push them into the other most. Because I don't believe the church would have disbanded and dispersed and went into the other parts of the world. Because you know how we are as apostolics. When we get in one place and one mind and one accord, we get comfortable. That's why we come to church and want to go through the same routine and do the same thing. My goodness, if we throw four worship songs in, <laughs> it messes everything up, doesn't it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's three, then prayer. How many had a hard time when the orchestra started playing, you started reaching for your wallet? No? But the church got comfortable, and so he's writing to the disbanded Jews that have branched out, and they went into the other most parts of the world. And so he's writing to them, trying to convince them that they live by faith. So James, the servant of God, let's read it in verse 1. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. He goes on, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this... That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye, may be, that ye may be perfect and entire and waiting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that given to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. For let him not the man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, and a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Isn't it kind of interesting that it causes joy? Consider it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now that word temptations is not being enticed by lust, being pulled aside. But it's actually a, a word that's called putting to the proof. That's the original meaning. It's to examine. It's to prove. 
It's not in an argument, but it, it really is in practice. And so what James is saying is, is we are to consider it this joy when we fall into difficult times. Temptations. Difficult times. If we were to take a poll of the crowd, how many would raise your hand and say, yeah, since I believed, I've gone through some stuff. If you didn't, just hold on. It's coming. But how many could say it's through those moments that I faced difficulty that I could consider it joy, not as I was going through, but rather what God was revealing to me through His power and through His Spirit, and that when I came through those temptations or I came through those trials, that when I was on the other side, I realized that I had become a better person. I, I can look at my life and, you know, I thought when I was in Bible school that living by faith was this, uh, that you had no money so you went to the slob because that's where you hang out. And uh, they had these couches in there. Now, this is, uh, this is the honest to goodness truth. And I would sit on those couches, and as I was sitting on those couches, I didn't want anybody to see it, but I'd reach my hand down in those couches, and I'd start doing this number. Because inevitably, I was going to pull out two or three, five, six, ten quarters. Anybody done that before? I love cleaning the couch out of my house because there's all kinds of money I find. I just invite people over. Just sit down. Make yourself at home. <laughs> We're going to clean them puppies out next week. We're going to see what we got. <laughs> I thought living by faith was where you, you got, uh, and, and uh, this shows my age, you, you got all those quarters, and you could go to Taco Bell back in the day, and for 88 cents buy a taco. Anybody remember those days? <laughs> Brother Britt, they were probably cheaper back when you were younger, but, uh, they, but it was like 88 cents when I was a, a child, uh, just a couple years ago. And, um, but I pulled those out, and I thought that was living by faith, by, oh, the Lord provided again. And uh, I thought living by faith was when, you went and you looked at your account and you didn't have any money in it. And so you call your mom and dad and you're like, oh, I'm so broke, I don't even know what to do. And, and, and you give them this big old sob story and they're like, well, your dad's not sending you any more money. And, and you're like, okay, I'll just have to wait till payday on Friday, you know. I was working at the Omni Severed and, and I'd, I'd be waiting and, and I'd go in my mailbox and open up that mailbox and there was that handwritten envelope. And those are good envelopes to get because those don't come from the IRS and they don't come from... <laughs> AT&T, <laughs> and you like pick those things up, and when they're fat and squishy, those are even better, because you know what's in there, there's folded up dollar bills in those, and boy, you open up that envelope, you're like, oh, that's living by faith, I knew God was going to come through for me, it had nothing to do with God, and boy, did I realize that I was wrong about living by faith, and it wasn't until I actually got married, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't until I actually got out on my own, and and I'm starting my ministry, and, and the trial comes up. And then, even then, I thought, well, man, this is living by faith where you got to stretch that dollar bill till the end of the week, or are you going to pray and hope? But isn't it amazing how we think we're living by faith until we actually get to a place where we go through a trial? If you've ever had a child that's been sick and you had no answers, and the doctors didn't really know up front what was going on. And all you can do is just say, God, you got to help us through this because we don't have an answer. Or you've ever been in that moment, Brother Faulkner, you were talking about grief. You've ever been in that moment where you've lost a child, you, Brother Marshall, Sister Marshall, and others 
you look at what you have gone through previous and you say, that wasn't a trial. But this is a trial. It's not on the mountaintops that we really see the hand of God, I don't think. We see the beauty of the hand of God. Because it's on the mountaintops we can look out over those vistas and we can see what God created. And we can sometimes see our past and sometimes get a glimpse of our future. But it's in that valley when you can't see the front or the end of it. And the darkness is encroaching. And the way seems rough and it seems crooked. And you don't know what to do except trust in God. If you've never trusted in God, if you've never found yourself at an altar of prayer saying, God, I can't go through this by myself. I don't know how to navigate through these waters. I promise you this, that the trial increases your faith. It brings you to that moment where you learn to trust in God. Because really, I believe that's the step beyond faith, honestly. Because faith says, I know that God can, but trust is actually where you live it with your life. That's, that's the step beyond. And so what this scripture is simply saying is count it all joy. Look at it, not as adversity, as problems and pain, but look at it as something that God is going to bring the joy, the joy of your salvation to know that God does not leave you in those moments. And God will not forsake you in those moments. But God will always bring you through. Because knowing this, knowing this, that we can count it all joy when we fall into direst temptations, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, patience is something my mom told me to never pray for. She said, never pray for patience because that's a lesson you don't want to learn. I just took her word at it. I didn't, I didn't really know what that meant. But I just thought that's a cardinal sin. It's right up there when mom said that godliness was, or cleanliness was next to godliness. And there's a bunch of other things she said. I later realized that maybe not all of those things that mom said were actually in the Bible. Some of them were just good principles. But patience is an interesting word. Patience is a farmer's word. Patience is nature's word. Patience is God's word. The kingdom of God is about seed, not speed. We find that Jesus taught and he gave many illustrations of how that you and I, it's not about who runs the fastest or the swiftest, but it's he who endures to the end. We see that scripture is constantly, Jesus is always using parables that connects us to the sower, the tree that's bearing fruit. So think about what patience really is. In the mind of Christ as he was teaching, the same amount of time it took a sapling to grow into a tree 2,000 years ago is the same amount of time it takes a sapling to grow into a tree today. Patience. Patience is not something that, boom, I just got patience. I, I think of it like this, is this word called patience, it, it's described not in a passive waiting, but an active endurance. It, it, it's not just setting down and, how many baseball players do we have? You remember back in T-ball, uh, you're playing the outfield. You know who they stick in the outfield in T-ball? The kids that have no skill, number one, and kids with attention deficit disorder, number two. <laughs> I'd be laying in left field picking 
grass blades and tossing them up in the air because nobody, nothing was coming out there. That's not patience to just sit around twiddling your thumbs, falling asleep on the couch. No, patience is trusting in God, knowing that if I'm here planted, I'm unmovable, I'm not wanting anything more, but I'm going to stay right here planted in his presence and in his purpose, knowing that God will provide. That's what patience, actively enduring. It's, we consider it a joy when we see God developing us as Christians and God developing our faith and God developing these characteristics called patience because patience is a beautiful thing of knowing that God is able to bring us through. And I wait on the Lord because waiting on the Lord, having patience on God is the process of renewing my strength. The psalmist said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. What does he do? Teach me, Lord, to wait. And so there's this beautiful process. It's kind of, maybe that's why in Timothy 3 and 6, where it talks about don't let a novice be, be pushed up. Why? Lest they fall. This is probably to the Bible school students more than anyone else. Stop worrying about God opening the door now and start trusting to God open the door when it's ready to be open. Because let me say, I, I don't want anything prematurely in the kingdom of God. I don't want a blessing. I don't want a miracle. I don't want an answer. I'll rather wait. And when God's ready for me to have it, that's when I can handle what God has in store for me. Because some of us are not in a place in spiritual maturity to where we're ready to receive what God has intended for us. That's why we need to wait on the Lord. He must wait. So what does it say after waiting on the Lord? Let's go back. Can we go back? It says, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep kicking that water bottle. Here, why don't you hold this for me? Just hang on to that. So where are we at? We're in uh, verse 4. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire waiting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I think there should be a, a clause that goes with life. And that clause should be this, some wisdom required. I, I think that wisdom is something that we must pray for. If any of you lack wisdom... You lack it because you have an ask of it. God isn't standing back and saying, no, 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 you don't deserve wisdom. No, God is wanting to give you wisdom. God is wanting to impart wisdom. That disclaimer of, of not having it, that excuse of not having, is because we haven't asked God to give us. Wisdom is not based upon education, by the way. But wisdom is not something that you can learn in a book. You can't learn wisdom in a book. I, I've met many a men, I've met several men uh, some that I were related to, I don't want to talk about them, uh, I'll just use general terms, but some that I'm related to that never graduated from high school, but some of the wisest men you've ever been around. A, a man that taught engineers at McDonnell Douglas because he was from that old school where he got his hands dirty and he understood something that books couldn't teach. Wisdom is seeing what cannot be seen. It's knowing what, as Pastor Mooney, Brother Turner talks about all the time, is just knowing maybe what you don't even know. Wisdom is something that only God can give you. My grandmother was a very wise lady. I love to hear my grandmother talk, and, and she was a seamstress, and they were farmers, and, and she didn't have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, when she died, she left nothing. 
But my grandmother, my grandmother was a lady of the word. My grandmother had dementia and she didn't know her kids. She didn't know her grandkids. But you know who she did know all the way until she couldn't speak? She knew God. Because every morning, though she didn't know any of us in the family, every morning she would get up and open her Bible and read her Bible and she would pray and speak in tongues. And she would not even know whose house that she was in. But my grandmother walked with God, I believe. There's no question in my mind. And my grandmother was a wise lady. I remember many times coming home from Bible school and she'd call me on the phone saying, are you home? And I'd say, yes, ma'am. And she said, you're coming over for lunch. Yes, ma'am. Because I knew what lunch entailed. I'd show up at grandma's house and she had my favorite, fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, corn and green beans, and biscuits. Mmm. It's better than Cracker Barrel. And grandma would do, she had this little ploy. I'd walk in the house and, and she'd already eaten. And she'd say, sit right here. And she'd set me at the head of the table. And she'd pull that Bible from the end of the table. And the Bible was completely covered in gray duct tape because she'd worn it out. And she'd sit right next to me, scoot that chair to where she was almost putting the Bible on my plate. That's why she'd already eaten. Because she knew this boy right here, he needed some word. And grandma would start reading the word of God. And before it was over, she'd start preaching to me, Brother Britt. And before that was over, I couldn't even get through my meal. And she had her hand on my head praying and speaking in tongues. She had wisdom. And it wasn't something she learned from a book. She didn't get it from somebody that set her down and showed her. She received it from God. Oh, hear me. If we've ever needed an hour, we need it now. That we need wisdom in people's lives. We need apostolics that can navigate through these strange moments that we're in when it comes to media and technology. We need wisdom that comes comes from God. I was talking to Brother Ingram and Brother Henderson and I had a conversation. We talked about this a lot. I'm not a tech person. I don't know anything about technology. I, I can turn my computer on. I can type some things. But if it breaks, you want to know who I take it to? Brother Brzezinski or Brother Henderson. I'm like, hey, how do you, what's, what does this do? Like, how do you make this happen? And, and they get so frustrated with me. I'm not a tech person, but I realized a long time ago with raising two boys that I, I can't use that as an excuse because the digital platform is being forced upon us. And I'm not, I don't say this to get your applause. Listen, I, I'm not a good parent. I don't know how. You keep coming up to me and saying, man, you, you did something right. I don't know what I did right. I don't know how. I don't have a formula. I don't know what happened other than the grace and mercy of God. And that's the honest to goodness truth. God has protected our kids. God is protecting your kids. Now, there's some things as a parent you can't let in. You have to have some wisdom, and you, can't, you, can't, you just have to say, we're going to put this guard up on the door, and that can't come in. You have to be wise as a parent, but you trust God with the rearing of your kids. Yeah, right. Trust me, I, I've been down there, so I, I asked Brother and Sister Blake, Jordan's parents, I said, how'd you do it? How'd you, how'd you raise these boys that love God in ministry, serving? And they're like, we don't know. So I'm like, well, okay. So I went to brother and sister Philip Jordan up in Frankfurt. I said, how did you raise these boys? Like you, you got to love God in church called. They're like, we don't know the grace and mercy of God. I was getting frustrated. I'm like, somebody's got to give me something. You, you've got to tell me a plan or a path or give me some. No, it just, you pray, you seek the face of God. You do the best you can and God takes care of the rest. But you can't, you can't let this, this idea that I don't know anything about technology keep you from putting safeguards in your home. And so I had to learn a long time ago, I, I, need, some, I need software. If I'm going to let them have the device, there has to be rules, restrictions, and guidelines. I'm not pastor tonight. Please don't mistake this. But 
this is just something my wife and I felt strongly about. My boys turn their phone in every night. It sits on my nightstand. Uh, I have an app, and I can share it with you. It's the best thing that I've found. I, we had no internet in our home until the pandemic, and it's like that forced us into this new area of life where everything's connected to the internet, and I was terrified of it. I, I was terrified, not that I distrust my boys, but I, I don't trust the enemy. Uh, it's, it, there's this thing, it's accidental, it's, it's invasive, it's pushing into our families as apostolics. We have to be wise. We, we've got to guard ourselves. And it's not just for the younger generation. This is happening at all ages. Brother Ingram and I had a conversation, and he just said he was, he was talking to someone, and they said, well, everyone has this problem. And he said, no, not everyone. And this person said, yes, they do. And if you say you don't, you're lying. He said, it's like it's normal. I don't want that to be normal in my house. I don't want it to be normal in the church. We need to pray that God would guard us and help us. And, and I'll put every device, but here's what I've got to do. I've got to make sure that I pray, God, give me wisdom. Give me insight. Help me to know words to say. Help me to sense when something's wrong. I, I, I can't read people very well, but I do know when I feel a check in the Spirit. The Holy Ghost can read somebody a whole lot better than I can. And there's been times I've asked my boys a question, and they said, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Brother Henderson's like, ah, something, ding, 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 ding. It doesn't feel right. You can't teach somebody that. What James is trying to say, we, we live by faith, but we've got to pray that God gives us this wisdom, this insight. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He's going to give it to you liberally. Abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God is going to impart wisdom to those that ask. I want wisdom that comes from on high. I want to know how to raise my family. I want to know what to do that's right. I want to navigate through those waters when it seems like chaos is on every side and confusion. I want to be the rock, the pillar, that not because of I'm, I'm superior spiritually, but because God has given me something that I can hold on to that says this feels right, this doesn't feel right. I, I've got to make sure that my anchor holds. And James was trying to push this idea. Wisdom is required. Because here's what happens. When we ask for wisdom, we must ask in faith, not wavering. I appreciate Brother Gibbs' message Sunday night. Not this Sunday, last Sunday night. That was powerful. The insanity of faith. You know, it's, it's pushed upon us. If, if something isn't working, you just go and do something different. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you're going to get the same results, right? Well, you haven't factored faith into the. That's why you just keep praying the same prayer. If the door is shut and you believe that God's going to open it one day, don't ever give up on that. So when we ask for wisdom as well as we ask for anything, we must ask in faith. If you lack wisdom, ask God, but ask in faith, not wavering. I'm not giving up. It's like that old bulldog that, that has the tenacity of a bulldog and that holds on and doesn't let go. Call me what you want, but when I see something that I need spiritually, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going back to the throne of God. If your healing hasn't happened, you get down to this altar every service and you hold on to the promises of God. If your child hasn't come back, don't you give up on that kid. You get to that altar every service and you hold on to the promise of God. We'll continue on. 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. You see, the theme of this book, of course, is faith. And asking in faith and believing that God, even when you don't understand, don't become that wave that's tossed to and fro, that's driven with the wind. Be stable in your faith. Be consistent in your faith. When the enemy comes against you and tells you something, never believe what the enemy says. All the way back in Genesis, he, 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 he presented who he was. He was a liar. If you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. If you eat of this, you're going to become wise. And, oh, don't listen to what God said. The enemy's a liar and he's perfected lying. So anytime that you pray and that voice gets in your ear, begins to tell you, give up, walk away, that's when you hold on because you know the promise is around the corner. The distractor of our faith. So let not the man think, in verse 7, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The word double-minded is found here in James 4 and 8. It's the first time in the Greek literature. It's not meaning a hypocrite, but it's rather an unsteady, a wavering by context. Someone that doesn't really have a surety. Someone that is just kind of flighty a little bit. They, they're not founded. I promise you, you go through a trial and you'll be founded in the word. You'll, you'll not be a double-minded man. We must make sure that we are, not, we are not asking God something that we're not consistent in receiving. We must stay the course that God has put before us. In verse 9 it says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice and that he is exalted. But the rich and that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways, and blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let me just say this. Testing is for our profit. It's for our profit. Because when we go to the trial... The Bible confirms to us that we shall receive a crown. And that crown is that word that's given to every winner, such as an Olympian that stands upon the stage. And Paul is writing in a sense that he's connecting. It's, it's this idea that Paul is writing to the heathen. He's talking about games when it mentions it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is stating the fact that that the crown of life that we are trying to achieve is the, the pinnacle of glory. James echoes this now here in chapter 8 when he says that if we are tried and true, if we, if we stay the course, we shall be crowned this. And it's not just a crown of glory, but it's a crown of what? A crown of life. The highest, the most precious, it's eternal. It implies a kingdom that God has given us the crowning of a kingdom. In chapter th verse 13, it says, Let no man say that he is tempted, that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. I've had many students over the years ask me when they get to this particular passage in James. And they always ask this question in verse 13. They want to know, could Jesus have sinned? And that's not really the question you should ask. Because 
that answer should be known. The question here is, can God be tempted with evil? Because we know that he could not have sinned. But he could be tempted. Because he was tempted in all manners like as we were. And so we understand that when God brings us through the trial, it's not a temptation. And he will never tempt us with evil. And neither do any of our sins tempt God to entice us to do worse things. And nor does he tempt any of his own accord. So we know for a fact that God, when he brings us through a trial, the difference between the attack of the enemy and the testing of God is the attack of the enemy will pull us into our lust and the desires that pull us away from the kingdom of God. Trials will push us to a place where we either accept the provisions of God and we allow God to increase our faith. So God is saying this in Genesis 22 and 1, that when he tempted Abraham... It is not a temptation in the sense of luring him into lust, but a temptation in the form of proving or trying him. And that's what God is doing. So in those moments where we walk through those deep valleys, the trying of our faith is God allowing us to prove who we are. It's God preparing us for our eternal reward. And so let no man say that he is tempted. I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And what? Enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it does what? Bringeth forth death. And then he ends it with this, don't err. You know what he's saying? Don't make a mistake. The enemy wants you to believe that you can indulge yourself in temptations. And the grace and mercy of God will cover it. But James is saying, listen, don't, don't be deceived here. Don't be deceived because you can't handle temptation and you can't handle lust. Because once it begins to pull you away, it takes you further and further. What's that old song that we used to sing? Sin will take you further than you want to go. What's that other song? It was about a picture frame on the wall. I used to remember when I was a kid. Satan always paints a beautiful picture. The, pro, the colors are so bright and grand. Y'all remember that? Satan always paints a beautiful picture. The colors are so bright and grand. And then it, the song goes on and says, but he never really shows you the end result. Because what's behind those beautiful colors, what's behind that beautiful painting is what? Despair and darkness and pain and suffering. James saying, don't err. Don't err. Where you're at in this, this moment of faith and God bringing you through trials is a beautiful place to be because God is perfecting you. He's increasing your faith. But when we get to the place where we're saying, oh no, temptations, that's of God, and indulging in our lust, don't be confused because God is not in those. Because when every man is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. But here's what it is. Don't be deceived because every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. You know what I believe? I believe that God has good gifts and perfect gifts. 
I, I, can, I can look back over my life, and I don't want to go into details. I don't want to bore you with that. But I can look back and see where, Brother Fridley, you've been there, where we, we've walked through those moments together, your spouse and you, and you trusted God and you believed in His provisions. And, and you didn't always know how the end was going to look, but you just you knew God was going to bring you to a place. You trust Him with your life, your ministry, your family. And you went through trials and battles, and, and there, were, there were low moments. I don't think anybody, uh, Brother Barkas, I don't think we could say that it's all just been perfect, but there's low moments we go through. Low moments. But then there's that time where we've come through on the other side, and God said, here you go. Good gifts. Perfect gifts. I believe God has great gifts for us. I believe those moments that we should never lament of going through trials because that's where God's going to say, now's the time that you open up gifts that you, you don't deserve, really. Uh, you live in houses that you didn't build and you reap from vineyards that you didn't plant. You see, those are the promises of God. Those are the good gifts. What God did for the children of Israel when he led them into the promised land is what God can do for us today. Let me say verse 17, God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we open up this word and we, we read the promises of God, we can stand on the foundation of that promise and know that what God did then, He can do now. That God has good gifts for us. Perfect gifts for us. That's what's why we can, it's not name it and claim it, but you know what? I believe we need to pray, God, give me a better job. God, help my life. Bless my health. I don't think there's anything wrong praying specifically because I do, I know this. God has good gifts for you. Good gifts for you. And he's unchanging. He's unwavering. Look across the aisle. You see people in church all the time. They're walking testaments of God's miracles. And if God did it for them, guess what? Uh, they're just not the superstar of the church that's always being blessed. No, no, that's not the way God works. God's got good gifts for them, and he's got enough for you, and he's got enough for you, and God can bring you through the trial, and God can lift you up, and God can anoint you, and God can take care of your family, and God can bless your children, and God can give you a better job. He's unchanging. He hasn't changed. We just have to look at it differently and say, you know what? God can do this. You know what? The enemy wants you to believe that God doesn't have power. <laughs> that the book of Acts is closed. It's finished. No, no. We're still living the book of Acts. We haven't seen the greatest revivals. We haven't seen the greatest miracles. I believe that. Brother Benson, we, we haven't seen what God can do overseas, and we haven't seen what God truly can do in America. I believe that the greatest is yet to come. Yeah, there's going to be a great falling away, but guess what? There's going to be a revival that the church cannot contain. And it's not because we've, we've set ourselves up. No, it's because God's just going to open the door. But you know what? The church has to be ready. Because we couldn't handle a revival of 10,000 people. We wouldn't know what to do with them. But the church must be ready. So we have to, as a body, increase our faith. We've got to get to a place where we're not wavering, where we trust God, where, where we're not being pulled by our lusts and two temptations. But though we go through trials, it needs to get us to a place where we can stand firm on His foundation. Because when the revival comes, we must be ready. 
It's not just the Sunday school teachers that need to be ready. It's not just the pastor that needs to be ready. It's not just the worship leader. It must be every person in the church. We have to be ready for the revival that God has for us. So we're in verse 17. We're not going to make it. i got to quit. I'm, I'm, I'm past time. Please forgive me. There's, Pastor Carson is going to be very unhappy with me. I got a page and a half of his notes that I still haven't gotten through, Sister Carson. I'm so sorry. Every good gift. Please stand. We'll do that. I was afraid of this. I've been so nervous tonight because I get to talking about these little things and I keep... Whew. Verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And coming down for the Father of lights with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. God never changes. How many believe in his first fruits? How many believe that God has good things for you? But here's some key elements. I want to give you this one last thing before we go. Wherefore, verse 19, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Because I believe this, if we're going to live by faith and walk in faith, there's some principles that we have to have. Number one, we need to be quick to listen. Quick to listen, that's kind of hard sometimes. You ever had a conversation with someone that all they wanted to do is interject? And then the conversation turned to where they're just talking and you're listening? And you've got something good to say? Sometimes we need to listen to what God has to say. How many has ever spent time in prayer and after you prayed for that set time in the morning, you realize that I didn't listen to anything God said. I just talked to him about what I needed. Anybody ever been there? I don't want to admit how many times I'm there. But I get, to, I get to that place, Brother Benson, where I'm just always talking to God. Sometimes I need to pause and be quick to listen to what he has to say. So if we're going to walk in faith, we have to be quick to listen. Number two, we have to be slow to speak. It's okay, Brother Jordan, to be slow to speak. Because sometimes when I open my mouth, things come out that shouldn't come out. I probably should wait a few seconds and be very slow to speak. Some wives are saying, amen. It's preaching to you. That doesn't mean never speak. It just says take your time getting there. Number three, be slow to anger. Doesn't mean never get angry. It just means be slow getting there. And by the way, anger is not a sin. Because you can be angry and sin not. There needs to be times where you just get mad at the devil. And get angry at him. Get angry at some things that are happening. And number four, receive with meekness the engrafted word, verse 21. The gospel word. The power of the word. Four things. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. I believe if we're going to walk in faith, those are four steps that we need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight. I pray, God, that you helped us. I pray, Lord, that we take something with us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for what's happening in our lives. And I pray, God, that through every trial that we may go through, that you would keep us and watch over us and bless us. We pray, Lord, that your strength would be made manifest and that those that are here tonight, that faith was built because the word went forth. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' precious name.